0: Over the next few minutes, I want to take the opportunity to explain a little bit more about actually what we've experienced and witnessed uh, this morning, but also to encourage you to think for yourself about what life is really all about. You see, as we've seen with Nathan today, as, as we've seen him getting baptised and share his story, and actually for many of us here, uh, we have been honoured, or dis, he has discovered that there is more to life. Nathan's own story is that when he began to ask questions, as he began to explore uh, and investigate, as he was presented with the person of Jesus Christ that we read in the Bible, as he began to do that, he began to discover that there really is more to life than this. That Jesus' invitation was an invitation that would have eternal significance. And so, at the end of this tour, I'm going to give you a very simple invitation, uh, which is something called Alpha, which Ash has helpfully uh, explained to us that's happening uh, this Wednesday. But I'll explain a little bit more about that a little bit later on. But let me just read a few verses uh, from the Bible. The verses are going to appear on the screen. Uh, And it's a conversation between Jesus and his followers. Uh, And it's in John chapter 14, and the words are going to appear up on the screen. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. This passage that we've read is talking a lot about rooms and homes and houses and God preparing a room for us and as I started to think about uh, the different homes that I've lived in over my life probably the most memorable uh, was the home that I lived in with my parents in my teenage years and so I wanted to ask you the question What kind of teenager were you? (laughs) Some of you are teenagers here this morning, and I might shed some light as to what you're going through right now. Um, But what kind of teenager were you? How would you have described yourself when you were a teenager? Uh, Some self-reflection on my part uh, caused me to admit that I was a very emotional teenager, Uh, So my mum would try and put a positive spin on it it, and she would say, oh he just kind of feels very deeply about things, which was very kind of generous towards me. Other times she wouldn't describe it like that. Um, But I think it was fair to say uh, that I could go from being very friendly and winsome uh, to being pretty sour and unpleasant. Uh, and, And one of the outcomes of me being an emotional teenager was I would have regular attempts of trying to run away. Any other runners here in the building? Any other runners? It, just one. You are all lying. Don't tell me you haven't thought about and attempted to run away from home when you were 13 or 14. I remember that. I remember 13, 14, uh, deciding and being so outraged that I wasn't allowed to go out because I hadn't done my homework and cleaned my bedroom. That I declared to my parents, "Right, that's it. I'm gone. I'm not coming back." And I would, I would kind of briskly walk to the end of my road. And there was, a, there was a bench there. And I would sit there for hours contemplating and thinking what my next move would be. And the hours would pass. And the problem was, and many of you might, if you know me, you'll know this about me, is that I'm not really much of a planner. So I would storm out of the house without anything with me. And then I would sit on the bench thinking, oh, God rubbish, I've forgotten all my things and a change of clothing, I've got nothing to sleep in, what am I going to do? Everything is back home. Uh, And so at that point, when I realised I had nothing with me and really I wanted to get back home, I would begin kind of operation, sneak back in without anyone noticing kind of thing and creep upstairs and that would be it and that would happen a lot. Uh, And even in those moments where I was adamant that I was not returning And and even, you know, threatened to give myself up for adoption, I'm afraid to say. Uh, I knew that I was going to make my way back home at some stage. That everything I needed was there. Uh, And as angry as I would be, I knew that there was still no place like home. And we can run. We can get lost. We can think what's best for us. But deep down, there is a sense and a desire in each one of us. I want to get back home and I've had the privilege of being able to travel a little bit and, uh, and explore and, and I love to travel and I love to go to new places and meet new people but there always comes this moment, isn't there, in, in a holiday or on a trip uh, there always comes this moment where you play, say, you know, this place is great and I'm loving it but I just want to get home, I'm kind of done now, <laughs> I need to get back home, I long to get back home and spiritually speaking, every one of us, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, you have that same desire on the inside of you. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, there is this thought that overwhelms you, and it's this. I must be created for something more than this. And why is it that when we, when we start to think that, you know what, if, if I was to get a bit more of this or a bit more of that, then I would be satisfied, or I would be complete, I would be whole. So for instance, maybe you have some money, and you get this idea going that if you have more money, then you will be fulfilled. Or maybe you have some kind of lodgings or, or a home, but you think, if I could just get a slightly bigger house then that would make my life a whole lot better. Or perhaps you're thinking, if I could just get married or if I could be single, then that would help me, that would satisfy me. But you know, it's it's pretty crazy logic to think that more of the same thing is going to do anything different in your life. No, the the truth is, is that you were created for a different place. You were Created not for this earth, but rather you have a home that God is preparing for you, a home with God forever. And until we come to terms with that truth, you're always going to find yourself running away, getting lost. But you will always have that sense on the inside that I don't belong here, that there has to be something more than this. I belong Back home. Just look at what C.S. Lewis said and how he puts it. He says this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, we weren't made for this world. We were made for a home with God. And the Bible calls that heaven or eternity. And this is where Jesus, in these verses that we've read, is going to zoom in on. So at the beginning of John chapter 14, it's, it's Jesus' farewell address to his followers. He is a matter, matter of hours away from dying on a cross, the most excruciating death, immanageable. And the disciples are confused and they are in fear Because they thought that Jesus was going to be this revolutionary figure who was going to liberate the people of God from the Romans and bring freedom and salvation. And there they're they're hearing that Jesus is going to die on the cross. That's not what they had imagined. What is going to happen to us now? That's what they're thinking. But instead of comforting Jesus hours before, look at what Jesus says to them in the hours before his death, in verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I want, to see, I want you to see this character quality about this God named Jesus. That in your moments of discomfort and despair, he comes to comfort you. Here in this moment where Jesus should be the one that is chaotic and gripped with fear, he takes the focus off himself and puts it on you. He is the God that comforts. With whatever you're going through, whatever situation you find yourself in, Jesus comes and he comforts you. But let's read on. He says in verse 2, My father's house has many rooms and if that were not so would i have told you that i'm going there to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where i am notice here that jesus is is talking uh, not about a home here on earth but a heavenly home the home that you were designed for the home that you long for the home that is calling your name. And although you can be running away from it, although you might feel lost, he's saying, come back home. And this home, this this place that God is preparing for us, is a physical, real place. You see, heaven to Jesus is not a state of mind or a, a philosophy. It isn't A fictional space with clouds made out of marshmallows, although that would be good. Uh, For Jesus, this heavenly home that he is speaking about is a real place. In fact, he says, in this home, there are many rooms in which you and I can abide and live in with the everlasting God, that you will walk in real relationship with the creator of the universe. And he says it's a permanent place heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people and jesus is speaking to the disciples and he's saying uh, he says don't let your hearts be troubled don't worry don't live in fear don't be anxious you don't have to walk in trouble because i've got a great promise and it's not a temporary promise it's an eternal promise. It's a promise that lasts forever. And it's that He's building a home for you. He's preparing a home for you where there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more suffering and pain and no more tears or brokenness. But in this home that God is preparing, we will have peace with God and we will be made whole. And so Jesus continues in his teaching, and he says this in verse 4, You know the way to the place where I am going. You know the way. And I love Thomas. I, I love Thomas. He's such a great character, such a great person. He fills me with hope, because what does Thomas say? He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And in some way, Thomas represents you and I. You know, Jesus makes this great statement. He says, you know the way. You know where I am going. And Thomas is like, actually, we don't, Jesus. We don't know the way. Uh, You always talk about these things, but we don't really understand what you're on about. How can we know? Because every question we ask you, you come back to us with another question. uh, And you're always speaking in stories and riddles and parables. Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. And Thomas is in the story. He's in the text on purpose because the Bible doesn't skip over humanity. He doesn't skip over our questions. And if you or I were to write the Bible, we probably wouldn't include Thomas because it doesn't really make to be a good part of the story when you're trying to convince people of the truth. You know, who wants the guy who's always rebuttling the saviour of the world? But Thomas represents you and I. And what it says to you and I is that God works with people who have doubts. God works with people who have questions. God works with people who who don't know what's going to happen next. God works with people who are gripped by sin. God works with people who don't know the way to go, who don't know the way back home. And Jesus doesn't skip or bypass or mock Thomas, but rather he speaks directly to him. And he says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. If you, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, You do know him and have seen him. Jesus is making the most audacious, incredibly bold statement about himself in this moment. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, you do know the way. You do know the truth. You do know the answer. And the answer is standing right in front of you. He says, Thomas... I am the way. What did Jesus mean by I am the way? Jesus was saying, I am the way back to God. I am the way back home. Your heart is longing to get home. Your, your desire, you desire relationship with God. You, you know that there is something more to life than this. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. And you might be thinking, well, why does there need to be a way? Why does there need to be a way back to God? I'm quite content with how my life is going. Everything is seemingly good right now. Why do I need to be concerned about this? You see, when you dig a little bit deeper into your own life, when I reflect upon how I live my life, I can't escape the reality that I want to be really deep down the master of, of my own destiny. In some sense, we desire to be the God of our own lives. If you think about it, we, we celebrate independence, don't we, in this culture particularly. We, we make choices that suit our needs. We, we accrue wealth. We build a life that is comfortable. We want the happy life. We don't like people's views that cut against us and what we think. We want to be in control, and anything that would upset that is not worth listening to. We're the God of our own lives. And the problem is is that if you're here, even if you're here and, and you don't believe in God, if there was a God who was all-powerful, almighty, you can see that if people are trying to build up their lives and become the masters of their own destiny, that not only does it compete. With this God. But it actually stands against him. It stands against this almighty, all-powerful God. And the Bible calls that rebellion or sin. And it's this sin, it's it's this nature in each one of us to build our own lives and be the masters of our own lives. That has separated us from a holy, good and just God. And God says... In the Bible, because God is holy and just, he cannot be in the presence of this kind of sin. He can't even look at it. You see, God hates sin. He hates rebellion. He hates it because it takes people away from himself. And takes people away from his perfect love. And it says... In the Bible, that all have fallen short of God's standards. Every person on this planet, every person that has ever lived, has sinned against God and sinned against each other. And that because God is perfectly just, because he is a perfect judge, the wages or, or the result of that sin is death. It's a life without hope, a life Without love, a life without God. Everything that you've heard about this morning about God loving us, when we turn our back away from Him, we don't get that. It's a life without hope. We've all fallen short. And I'm not excused from it, and neither are you. We've all fallen short, and it's serious, and it actually breaks God's heart. He's a loving Father. And for me, I came to realize in my later teenage years that that I was seriously lost. I'd made myself the center of my own life. And whatever I wanted to do, no one was going to stop me. Uh, But in between moments of of feeling free and experiencing what the world had to offer, I remember there would be times where I'd realized that I was so lost and far away from God. Lost in my own thoughts. And I didn't know the way back. I remember sitting in a room a little bit like this. I'd gone traveling for a year to find myself. And uh, I remember sitting in a room a little bit like this. A friend had invited me to church, hadn't been to church for a while. And I sat there and I thought, I mean, this is not going to help me. This, what am I doing here? Sitting at the back and uh, the preacher standing here basically started to preach about a very similar thing, that, that people were looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in the wrong things. And it was like he was speaking directly to me. I was sitting there and I was nailed to the floor. And I was weeping, I mean, toilet, I was an emotional teenager, right? So I was crying, it was snotty. Uh, and I realized that I'd been trying to define my own life. And God said, you're not going to find fulfillment if you continue to do that. And his call was to turn back home, to turn back to God. And the thing that clinched it for me was that previously I think I tried to work it all out myself. I tried to carve out my own way. But here I was presented with a God who, rather than leaving us to our own devices, God in human form stepped in into this great divide, this great separation between man and God. It was Jesus that had stepped in. I don't think I'd heard that. I think people had told me that, but it hadn't registered that this God would be willing to step in and bridge that gap between me and my own sinful ways and a holy God. Jesus had placed himself in the position of punishment for my sin, for my rebellion, when he died on the cross. And it was this death, the death of the Son of God, that had provided me with a way back. You see, we can run away, can't we, for all sorts of reasons. I ran away because I was looking for satisfaction and fulfillment and didn't believe that God could provide that for me. There may be some who have run away because we think that that we're too bad for God. That if God really knew what I was like, he wouldn't accept me. Or perhaps we're gripped and filled with guilt and shame. Or perhaps it's been so long since you've come to church. How could God possibly want me back? The thing is, is that Jesus did not come with a message of behavior modification. He did not. He came for heart transformation. He came to bring you new life. He came for something far deeper than behavior modification, trying to do the right thing. What he cares about and what he's committed to is heart transformation. And he's serious about it because he went to the cross for it. Taking on sin and shame so that we wouldn't receive punishment, but in its place, a new life with God. And so he says to Thomas, if you want to know the way, if you want to know the way to this eternal home, it's me. But he doesn't just stop there. He says to Thomas, I am the truth. And Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I am the visual representation of who God is. In fact, I am the exact imprint of God. I am God. God. And if you want to see God, if you want to know him, if you want to know what he's like, what his character is like, then look at Jesus. And it's so important for us because how we view God or how we perceive God affects the way in which we live our lives. So if you think God is just an overzealous, strict headmaster, then you are probably going to tiptoe on eggshells in fear of upsetting him. You're going to constantly live in fear and anxiety. Or perhaps you relate to what Christopher Hitchens said. This is what he said. He said, The existence of God would be a bad thing. It would be rather awful if it was true. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision and invigilation of what you do, you would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity. And that might be close to how many of us imagine God to be a lonely, irritable, bearded man, sitting on a cloud with lightning bolts in hand, ready to strike people down whenever we annoy him. He's busy being in charge, all power, but not a lot of patience. A little bit like a speed camera. You feel deep down that possibly they're for the best of you, but you resent them every time you see them because they're just waiting there, sitting and waiting to catch you. You can view God a little bit like that. And the funny thing is, is that Hitchens is right. That's not a very nice God. I don't believe in that God either. The thing is that the God that Jesus Christ reveals is something altogether different an altogether different kind of God. So there's a story in the Bible in which a woman is caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. And she's pulled, she's torn away by the religious leaders and presented to Jesus. And the the right punishment in that culture would would have been for her to be stoned to death. And the religious leaders, they're, they're expecting Jesus to bring down this kind of punishment to her. But what does Jesus say? He says, you who haven't sinned, throw the first stone. And the accusers slip away one by one. Or the tax collector Zacchaeus, who had been squirreling away money from other people for his own ends. And rather than giving him a dressing down, Jesus invites himself round for dinner. This Jesus came to reveal a truth, the truth, about God in an altogether different way. And And he says, if you know the truth, if you know me, the truth, then the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the truth. And then we get to the headline claim. I am the life. That is some statement. I am, not I am a life. I am the life. It's like you can just imagine, can't you, like a, a pop star or a celebrity uh, turning up to the venue for their show, and an innocent doorman is there, and you go, Oh, are you here for the event? And they say, I am the event. And you're like, Wow, okay, sorry, yeah, it's just through there. I am the life. And Jesus doesn't back down, does he? He says, I am the life. You'd be forgiven for thinking, gosh. Jesus, that's quite an arrogant statement, egotistical. How can you claim that you are the life? And the thing is, is that because Jesus is God, and God is perfect, then there is nothing outside of God that will add anything to God. And that within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we see perfect love and perfect community. We see that God doesn't need anything else outside of himself. God is fully satisfied. He is fully pleased, fully delighted in himself. And so actually Jesus can say, life itself is found in me and flows out of me. I am the life. And you see, the truth is that that God actually didn't need us. He wasn't feeling lonely or miserable and, and thought about some things that he could create and play with or to receive recognition or popularity. No, he didn't need that. He didn't need us. But guess what? He, he wants us. He deeply wants us. He deeply desires us. He wants you and he, and he wants you to share in this perfect love and community. He wants you to find life. In all its fullness, a life with him, a home with him forever. Remember what Jesus said I am preparing a place for you, a real home, a perfect home. And Thomas came to Jesus and said, I don't know the way to that. That sounds good to me, but how do I know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life that you are so desperately seeking for. It's me, Jesus. There, were no, there is no life outside of me. Just a bunch of cheap, fake copies that offer you something, but in its place, just break. And so very simply, I want to end with this. Perhaps as you've been listening you've realized, you know what, I have been running away. I feel lost. I feel stranded. I don't know where I stand with God right now. I feel stuck. I want to get back home. Then I want to offer you a very simple invitation to come and explore more this life that Jesus has to offer And it's Alpha, it's on this Wednesday evening here in this building. You can walk through those doors that you came in. Someone will greet you. It starts at 7.45. I'm going to be there. I'm going to try and buy donuts if I can. Uh, Krispy Kremes, I've promised it now. There we go. Um, I would love for you to come and ask your questions. And like Ash said, it's a video, there's discussion. But why don't you join me in finding out a bit more about this life that Jesus has to offer. Alternatively you may be here and actually there is a sense in which you are feeling lost right now and you wanna get right with God right now. And we've got an opportunity and a space to be able to do that. So why don't we stand together and I'm gonna hand over to Ash who's gonna lead us in communion But can I encourage you, as he does that and as we play, if you want to respond to God now, why don't you grab the person that you're with, that has brought you along, or you can come and find me at the front or at the end of the service. I'd love to talk to you and to pray with you.